you're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together a crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? My name's Tom Jennings, and this is the 24 Frames cast. So today's episode, I'm going to be looking at uh, two films, uh, the documentary Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story, and the latest offering from Lucasfilm in the form of Solo. And before I get to that, I think there's going to be, I have to take uh, a little bit of time out, really, to talk about which I'm, I'm, I'm going to do an episode possibly after this on the state of film culture at the moment and film criticism in general um, and it will kind of play into what I'm going to talk about when we get to Solo but I in, until I suppose the past year or so and certainly the past few months I was never really that bothered about Twitter um, and it's, it's something which I've become in, in, in terms of social media it's become I wouldn't say my favourite platform. I think favourite is a slightly um, disingenuous word. It's become the one I've become the most intrigued with. And it's certainly the one that I'm the most active on. Um, Facebook just seems to be... Uh, my, my, my previous friends from school who have hit middle age, who are now having middle age crisis, and they just seem to kind of post an ever-ending stream of inspiration, inspirational quotes or memes and talk about how... Uh, great their life is and it, it's all rather boring and I'm sure you might have been there as well where some, some of your friends suddenly start selling cosmetic products and it, it seemed I, I just I just I'm not down with it anymore so I've, I've, I've gravitated towards Twitter which I think I prefer the medium and I also I, 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 sense, I, I seem to find myself getting a lot of good directed towards a lot of good content from it but I also I've had a, a, quite a few um, incredibly negative interactions on it. Um, and I, I've recently had a few with people who I suppose would identify themselves as being uh, predominantly feminist film critics. And I, I, I've been genuinely shocked at these interactions. Um, how quickly they become very hostile the, the lack of useful conversation that comes off them um, is incredible and it, it, I, I think it's worth looking into in a lot more detail because it kind of led me down the path of looking at what's become now known as toxic fandom and um, the patriarchy uh, dominating the culture and it, it's it, it, it's slightly depressing to me and I, I don't think I, I was going to I will touch on it when I talk about solo but I, I think it's worthy of a topic in of itself so it's definitely something I'm going to be working on I actually want to bring on a guest someone who I've had a few quite um, testy exchanges with and um, I was actually looking to bring someone on to talk about it uh, they've blatantly expressed the fact that they have absolutely no 
interest in talking to me, um, um, which apparently is part of the problem um, of which we'll get to. But yeah, that is going to be coming. Um, on another news as well, um, I have been commissioned to make a short film, which is very good, obviously. Um, it's um, by an Iraqi writer um, about refugees. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's very um, a really interesting story. I'm going to possibly look at kind of keeping some sort of uh, diary, which I'll update on the blog about how the production goes. Um, it's only a short film, but I, I don't envisage we're going to be filming it until sometime next year. But I thought it might be interesting to do episodes on that. So... Without any further ado, I'm going to talk about the new Star Wars film, Solo. Now, The Last Jedi ruined my Christmas. Well, actually, it didn't. Uh, what actually ruined my Christmas was I drunk too much whiskey at my in-laws and ended up passing out drunk. Um, if you've ever uh, had any dealings with the Irish, they can drink. And unfortunately, I thought I was doing okay but I I think I realized I was utterly inebriated when I tried to get up to the toilet and I ended up I think I slept in my girlfriend's sister's old bedroom I certainly remember Ema coming in at one stage to see I hadn't puked and then I I woke up and bizarrely felt completely fine and staggered into the living room to which Siobhan my girlfriend was like right we're going Um, but that was generally how I ruined Christmas it had nothing to do with Star Wars but The Last Jedi did annoy me, and it annoyed me a lot, and you can hear why in an episode I recorded with Hunter, and I even received a complimentary copy of it from a friend who had ordered it from Amazon, they'd actually sent him two, and he forwarded that on to me, and despite the fact I received it for free, I still cannot bring myself to sit through it again and be as baffled as I was to how anyone could literally say they had enjoyed it. It is a terrible film, a legitimately terrible, stinking, awful work, and quite honestly, Star Wars and I needed some time off. Yet, of course, Disney had other ideas. Now, I will admit, I've moaned about the theatrical experiences before. Mess on the floor, overpriced, too low sound, the screen slightly off, etc., on and on. So having managed to manoeuvre away from some loud eaters, Solo began and my blood began to boil. Why was the screen so dark? Surely, I wondered, it was not that hard to turn the bulb up. And then it began to dawn on me. This was actually how the film was supposed to look. Yes, Solo is the darkest of all the Star Wars film, and I mean actually, like literally dark. So dark, in fact, this question kept returning to me practically every five minutes. Let's not forget, director of photography Bradford Young worked with two sets of directors on this film, and perhaps the visual palette of it was established before Ron Howard was brought on board. And it may have been too costly to reshoot it, and Howard just continued with what had been set before. But literally, I thought the film looked awful for the most, and as the most expensive Star Wars film ever produced, much of it was hidden in a murky, if not downright ugly look. I cannot understand why this choice was made, but whoever made it, and indeed whoever approved it, whatever their reasoning, Solo 
is at times a frustratingly underexposed affair. I would not be surprised if on its Blu-ray release it is given a grading visually. In a less than completely blacked out room, you will struggle to have a clue as to what is going on in a lot of the scenes. So much of it is just swallowed up in murkiness. That aside though, I went into Solo completely unaware of anything about the film. I had seen a smattering of trailers on Instagram, but after that, I pretty much knew nothing about it. And indeed, I felt this was the best way in to go into the film without a weight of expectations and knowing any major plot details. In fact, I actually quite liked it. I felt I was going into it on a level playing field. And such, my initial opinion of Solo was quite positive. It is a perfectly fine film, which, even saying that, seems something of a disappointment. Now, obviously, we know Solo is an origin film, but here the creators have decided to explain every single facet of Han's life. Well, how did he get the name Solo? And did you even care? Well, here's a scene to explain exactly how that happened. How did he come to call Chewbacca Chewie? Well, you probably didn't even care. Well, here's a scene to explain that. And you know how Han says, I've got a bad feeling about this? Well, here's a scene in which he says, I've got a good feeling about this. And so on, and so on, and so on. The issue is, all these moments feel so forced, and also quite unnecessary. These moments are supposed to invoke a kind of mental boost for you. They're meant to make you smile and feel like some missing pieces of a jigsaw are being completed and that you can feel content and get on and joy with the show. They're like a mental checklist that they, the filmmakers feel that you want to be filled in. Only they don't. They are instead hollow, cheap attempts at playing on nostalgia and are merely contrived, unnecessary moments in films that are already too, too long for such triviality. Now, Rogue One had elements of this, yes, and yet Solo's insistence on doing this kind of felt like a fake, sentimental obsession the film had developed. I think back to that original picture of the Force Awakens cast and crew doing their read-through. It was in black and white and was supposed to look like the old, a similar picture from the old films. And you can do this ad nauseum, but ultimately it feels so hollow, contrived and forced. In short, it feels like this is just product, albeit in this case for one that I actually did quite enjoy. Although called Solo, it isn't, isn't necessarily all about the erstwhile smuggler. Alden Ehrenreich can't replace Ford, but he does do an admirable job in a film that he doesn't need to 100% carry. Indeed, Solo felt more like an ensemble piece. Of course, there is Chewie, Woody Harrelson, Donald Glover, and Amelia Clark adding a love interest, although I would contest acting-wise, she is most certainly bringing up the rear. Most surprising to me was the was Paul Bettany as the main villain. Genuinely terrifying. He reminded me of something out of an Ian Banks culture novel series. Well-spoken, calculating, and ever so slightly mad. 
inheriting a kind of baroque pleasure ship complete with bounty hunters and the galactic it crowd. The story also took some nice deviations from Star Wars canon. At one stage a caption read three years later to reveal Solo on a planet fighting for the Empire having been booted out of flight school. It was kind of akin to 2000 AD's portrayal of New Earth in the Rogue Trooper series with a hellish war going on. If Star Wars ventures into TV series, I think I could quite happily watch one about a platoon of Empire soldiers fighting in such a place. And of course, we get to see how Han and Chewie came together. It was a scene that was slightly predictable, yet very well handled, and the early chemistry between the two was fun and endearing. And of course, we loved seeing Chewie, and seeing him again with more to do more than activated the Star Wars nostalgia circuits in my brain. And Solo is a fairly standard heist film when we boil it down. We get to meet Lander, the excellent Glover, whose performance seemed the closest to mimicry of the original cast, yet it was also highly engaging and provided more than a few laughs for me. Unlike his robot LS9, a social justice program loving Jess Philando, of course he's pansexual now of course, and whether or not this creation was trolling Star Wars' newfound social justice obsession or simply continue it, I could never be quite sure. Either way, it was exceedingly annoying, delivering some of the most cringeworthy lines in the history of the franchise. Yet Solo bobs along at a fairly breezy place. It has shootouts and space chases and witty one-liners that kept me engaged. The reappearance of a certain character from the past did provide a genuine holy shit moment and one that were the film to get a sequel I would be intrigued to see where it goes. And yet I had fun with the film overall. It offers very little new and nothing we have never not seen in, in the Star Wars universe. It has the stench of product all over it. It takes few risks and Howard's direction is workmanlike. John Powell's score is just fine. It's just safe. And origin stories often struggle to get over the fact they are there to effectively shepherd in a new franchise and as a result can feel light and unengaging. Solo does a lot of this well. It has a good baddie that injects a well-needed sense of peril. It lays solid foundations but ultimately it is a fairly forgettable cinematic experience. It killed two hours. And ironically, one of the reasons I went to watch the film was I bought Star Wars Battlefront 2 on the PlayStation and there were so many updates, it was gonna be five hours before I was able to actually play the game. So I thought what better way to kill that than go and watch Solo. Now it has kept me interested and I do want to see where these films go. But there is one problem which Solo has genuinely run into. Now we have to come to the aftermath of Solo. After The Last Jedi, I predicted Star Wars may be in trouble. The film was a disaster, not financially, but ideologically. Kathleen Kennedy and co have set Star Wars down a path that has led directly to what has befallen Solo. Thus far, Solo is my favourite film in the new cycle of Star Wars film, and I would contest and I would contest it is legitimately the best. However, The Last Jedi cemented many people's fears. 
it took the wonder of Star Wars and used it as a cipher to shoehorn in a checklist of millennial social justice warriors, activism, and tore apart Star Wars lore. The result was a hollow experience that left many apathetic or indeed outright angry. And indeed, I can understand these frustrations. Star Wars shouldn't be this hard to do, yet Disney and Lucasfilm appear to have appear to have been royally failing when it comes to delivering audiences the type of experiences they want. I don't know anyone that has said they want to watch The Last Jedi again, and indeed that itself is very telling. And only after a few months of that abomination we have Solo, and quite simply their effect has not been surprising. I had a feeling leading up to Solo that people weren't really that bothered about the film, my social media pages were not full of gushing reviews of the trailers, and indeed part of my reason for going in blind for the film was that there was so little discussion about it. The Last Jedi alienated the core audience of Star Wars whilst attracting a new form of fandom, that of politically correct social commentators jumping for joy that the film's gender politics and this door and this discourse has done no favours in furthering reasoned discussion around the film. It has become quite simple. If you like The Last Jedi, you are woke, a champion of feminism and progressive politics. If you don't, you're a crying fanboy, betrayed of how your beloved franchise has been ripped away from you. It has become an us and them situation, and the victim, I would argue, is interesting film discussion and discourse. So along comes Solo, and people have simply had enough. At the most expensive Star Wars film to date, two weeks after it released, it is apparent that Solo will not recoup its budget on its theatrical run. And this seems an extraordinary thing to say, given it is a Star Wars film. Yet it is also very telling as about the ill feeling that exists amongst the Star Wars audience. The Marvel films, even in their lesser incarnations, have made eye-watering amounts of money. Black Panther, the least interesting of them all, crossed the million, the billion dollar barrier, sorry, and even Ant-Man raked in half a billion. And yes, Marvel has time on its side. Established worlds and characters we love, and possibly a slightly more varied demograph. We've also had recently in the past few weeks the Infinity War, which I must say so myself, I thought was pretty great. Is, and is also pushing the two million bot dollar barrier worldwide. The fact that Solo will struggle to make a return is very telling. It shows that franchises are susceptible to audiences fatigue, yet I do genuinely believe that the, film, the film's poor showing is down to the present state of culture surrounding Star Wars. Let us take Lando in the film, the ever so creepy relationship with his robot, a bit of harmless obscure fun perhaps, Possibly that's how I took it. But of course the internet went into overdrive. Lando is pansexual. and But of course you have to put the champagne on ice. Because of course Solo has issues. And it is a huge missed opportunity. And that opportunity, according to Vox, was that Solo, Solo a Star Wars story, misses a huge opportunity to explore droids as an aggravated class with parallels to racism and slavery. Yes, yeah, Solo really, really missed out in that respect, 
big time. Now seek that article out, it is really as funny as it sounds. Pansexual Lando, woke droids. Now really, I'm all for different theories of film criticism, but in this case it is coming at a cost. If you don't agree with a female perspective on Star Wars, why you're just a white privileged male stifling a female voice in the male dedicate in the male dominated world of film discourse don't like badly written female characters why you're a crying man baby incel who hates Kathleen Kennedy because of your misogyny now of course there are arseholes who take things to the extreme and hurl personal insults at the actors involved the treatment of Kelly Marie Tan is utterly disgraceful but I can't get on board with retweeting support for her because her presence has changed the franchise for the better. Her character in The Last Jedi is pure and simply terribly written in a terrible film. It's not her fault, it's Ryan Johnson's fault. However, one should not be labelled anything for simply making that point in a legitimate, civilised fashion. I would say the same for the film Sicario. I, feel, I think it's a film that treats and presents Emily Blunt's characters terribly. In a film that everyone seemed to love, I actually hated it, particularly because of its gender politics. Bad characterization and lazy writing are a huge bugbear for me, male or female. Yet quite clearly, this is not acceptable for many. Star Wars has become toxic. In its present form, the Star Wars universe is going to find itself in deep trouble. I predict Star Wars Episode 9 will struggle to break the billion dollar mark. Possibly it may even do worse. And no, it's not because men are offended by strong female leads. It's because they it's because this new trilogy has been poor. The sit the films are simply not very good. And the fact of the matter, I don't know anyone who's had a whole heap of positive things to say about them. They're boring, lifeless affairs that I think are poorly conceived, cynical cash grabs. The anthology films have been better. Rogue One is legitimately good, as is Solo, but the next anthology films could be in trouble if Lucasfilms and Disney insist on sticking on the path they are on. Ryan Johnson is apparently on board to do another trilogy, and I don't think this is going to go down well. The anthology films are another matter. At the moment, they seem to be stuck in telling us stories from the Star Wars universe we know. And indeed, that does make sense. However, their next choice of film needs to deviate from what we're seeing at the moment. Talk of a James Mangold Boba Fett film is intriguing for sure. But we need to get the budgets down. We need to make these films dirty and we need to get mean. And a new life needs to be blown into this franchise. I, for one, still think there is legs in these solo films. What I've seen here has intrigued me. It has some fun moments. However, at present, the outlook is not great. And who could have honestly predicted that three years after getting back into Star Wars, we are actually asking ourselves, has it actually been worth it at all? She was the best looking woman that ever lived. I don't know whether it's true, but you hear things. She is this perfect underdog crime fighter by night story. 
She was such a big star. She seemed so untouchable. She was so ahead of her time. She said more than once, my beauty is my curse. And by that she meant people never got past her face. There are stories almost like a prison escape. She created her own reality, and I find that really fascinating. She did have a secret. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, that's her technology. You think, how could this be possible? If I wanted to be harsh, I would say she was a plagiarizer. You don't get to be Hedy Lamar and smart. And I know what I did. There comes a point when you can't take any more than you have to make yourself heard. Okay, so next up was a documentary that I saw that I really enjoyed called Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. Now, I love biographical documentary films, preferably on a freezing cold Sunday accompanied with booze and zero desire to leave the house. From Senna to McCullen, I don't care what the subject is, I'm pretty much hooked. In particular, however, I love documentaries about film history and the release of Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story, and a cursory glance at the description had me intrigued. A film star from the 1940s and a part-time inventor of Wi-Fi. It all seemed a little far-fetched and at times I wasn't convinced, partly due to the film often resembling corporate videos for CEO's retirement. Nonetheless, Bombshell was a thoroughly interesting work, given a fascinating insight into the golden age of Hollywood and make no mistake, this is not to suggest this is some form of lost nostalgic look at the era. Lamar was one of the biggest hostiles in Hollywood, having fled Germany and her industrialist husband by disguising herself as a maid and sewing jewels into her clothes. She met Louis B. Mayer on a boat to America and became a huge box office draw. Her career was forever shared, overshadowed by a remarkably explicit film she made in Germany in the 1930s, and after a series of dud and failed marriages, Lamar's fame would eventually wane, seeing her living on an Actors Guild pension in a saw house in the suburbs. Now, like many recent documentaries, the film is peppered with once-forgotten recordings made by Lamar herself. She is a frankly brilliant narrator, funny, touching, and playfully speaks about her remarkable life with a mixture of humour and understatement about everything she achieved and did. The recordings are also made from telephone calls which provided a uniquely personal touch and intimate feel to the way in which we navigate our way through the story. And what a story it is. From relationships with Howard Hughes to accidentally designing Wi-Fi, Lamar is a fascinating subject. Now where it worked so well for me was how it serves as an interesting take on the history of Hollywood. Now at university, and indeed in many textbooks, we hear about the golden age of Hollywood. Indeed, I referenced it at the beginning of this review. We associate with a star system of larger-than-life producers and directors, and of course some amazing films from this era. And it is a rose-tinted view for sure, and of course there was a dark side to all this, and indeed it is a very dark side. And this film does a rather chilling job of presenting the reality. The punishing schedules of stars required a radical solution, namely injection of amphetamines administered by studio-employed doctors. And one need only imagine the pressures placed on stars, especially the women, to conform to their respective studios' contractual obligations. Here we see Hedy's family lay down in heartbreaking detail the effects it had on her. Her home life for the most part was a complete car crash because of this, veering from husband to husband 
and affairs with the aforementioned Howard Hughes in between. She would repeatedly have her heart broken, or indeed break hearts, as well as wreak a punishing toll on her children, including a failed adoption that I rather that rather felt like it was hurried through the film somewhat, yet its inclusion, I feel, was completely necessary for the film. The relationship between and the pressures of her career and on her private life are completely apparent. After a series of unsuccessful films, Lamar would also be a trailblazer in that she would produce her own works, yet even these two failed to add to her star value as it began to fade. Now, the rise and fall of actors' career is nothing new, but what seems particularly sad about Lamar's is that the fact that she seemed, in the eyes of producer at least, to never really shake off the idea that she was a rather low-rent actress due to her earlier career. Frequently, her later performances were mocked mercilessly, and as Lamar struggled to maintain her career, she embraced plastic surgery, often having to have surgery to correct previous surgery. And Bombshell serves as a rather stark reminder of the fickle nature of the entertainment industry. Living on a SAG pension, Lamar rarely communicated with anyone outside of family, and culture really was the loser as a result. Indeed, one of my main issues of the film is its running times. I felt that it was slightly too hurried, especially when the extent of everything, especially when the extent of her evening hobby becomes apparent. Lamar was an avid inventor. Now, to be sure, most of these inventions were fairly useless. However, in a bid to help the war effort, she did come along with her inventing partner, George Anthill, inadvertently lay the groundwork for the invention of Wi-Fi. Now, there is no doubt the pair's invention was significant, but I felt there was an entire other film that could have done a better justice to what we end up seeing. I mentioned at times that the film films a little like a gift to a departing CEO at an organisation, and I know because I've made them, and in truth, this is a story that needs to give a happy ending of sorts and a fitting tribute to such an extraordinary woman. Alexander Dean's film does this, but in the era of the Netflix long-form documentary, I wanted more, more nuance and more new detail. It's a breezy film at times, not in the treatment of its serious of its content, but rather more we arrive at an interesting place, only to suddenly move on over to the next part in Lamar's career, leaving me with war questions and importantly, eager for more detail. Of course you can only judge what you see, and Bombshell is a genuinely interesting film. From the point of film history, I loved it. From the point of the view on Lamar's career, I found that it was a tad perfunctory at times, and in the era of Me Too it seemed an incredibly relevant tale that would have been better served on a larger canvas. Sadly, it's quite hard to get hold of Lamar's film in the UK. I've rented Algiers, which is a remake of Pepe Lamoco, from the excellent cinema Paradiso website, which is taken over from Love Film, and I can heartily recommend giving that a go if you still like physical media to rent. But I may have to resort to other means to see more of her films, which of course I'm certainly going to do. And hopefully with the release of this film, we may see a revival in interest in her career. In fact, I can kind of see this would be a nice Eclipse box set from Criterion. But overall, really enjoyed this film and I can heartily recommend seeking it out. Okay, so that's going to be it for this episode of the 24 Framescast. You can find me on Twitter at 24 Framescast. You can find me on blog, uh, 24framescast.blogspot.com. And you can follow me on Facebook. Um... It's, uh, there's a picture on that with my friend we look like leaving Las Vegas so if you're looking for that Tom Jennings um, I am the idiot with the large glasses on so many thanks for listening and I'll be in contact soon bye <laughs>